In our previous reading, the pilgrims left the arbor and passed by the dread of the giant Grimm to come to the porter's lodge called Beautiful, and there they resided for more than a month. In this week's pages, we read of the pilgrims' next stage of their journey, wherein they must pass through the valleys of humiliation and the shadow of death. As the pilgrims set forth once more, Piety remembers a gift for Christiana that she left back at the lodge. And so while waiting for Piety to return, Bunyan gives us a short scene of the pilgrims listening to the songs that the con- of, of the country birds, singing songs of God's goodness and grace. Prudence comments that they are very fine company for us when we are melancholy. Also, they make the woods and groves and solitary places places desirous to be in. We would do well to consider Bunyan's lesson here. The gift of song is a great one from the hand of our Lord. We ought to take full advantage of it. Even Saul's troubled soul was comforted by David's music. And yet, not all music is equally beneficial. So Psalm 119 verse 54 gives us the pilgrim's song selection by saying, Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojournings. It amazes me that there are so many Christians who run to songs of Babylon whenever they're troubled or downcast, rather than going to the songs of Zion. Now, of course, there certainly is plenty of worthwhile music that is not explicitly or intentionally Christian. Yet, should not our primary music di- musical diet consist of songs that will strengthen and, in- and comfort us for the journey of endurance that we are all upon? Now, Upon her return, Piety gives to Christianity a rem- to Christiana a reminder of all that she beheld in the house. In the same way, the pious Christian ought to leave the gathering of God's people each Lord's Day with some plan to remember and meditate upon all that was seen and heard throughout the remainder of the week, as they say, for thy edification and comfort. Leaving here, the pilgrims begin their descent into the Valley of Humiliation, where Christian had his desperate battle with Apollyon. Here is one of my favorite places that Bunyan revisits in this second part. When Christian passed through this valley, it was a place of fear and torment due to his being assaulted by Apollyon. Thus, when we first read of their going down into the valley, we begin to wonder what horrors Greatheart will need to defend the pilgrims from this time. However, Bunyan defies those expectations by pointing out that humiliation is only painful to those who are puffed up and still need to be humbled. For those who already know their lowest state, the valley of humiliation is beautiful and pleasant. Here's how Greatheart describes it. It is the best and most fruitful place of ground in all those parts. It is a fat ground and, as you see, consisteth much in meadows. And if a man was to come here in the summertime, as we do now, if he knew not any things before thereof, and if he also delighted himself in the sight of his eyes, he might see that that would be delightful to him. Behold how green this valley is, how also beautified with lilies. I have also known many laboring men that have good estates in this valley of humiliation. For God resisteth the proud, but gives more, more grace to the humble. For indeed, it is a very fruitful soil, and doth bring forth by handfuls. What a marvelous twisting of our expectations. Greatheart, of course, goes on to explain that our Lord himself resided much in this valley during his earthly life. We have certainly seen this truth throughout our study of Mark's gospel. 
And he calls us to do the same, to the same way of life. So we read in Mark chapter 9, verses 34 and 35, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Or maybe we read in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Mark chapter 10, verse 15, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Mark 10, 25, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then Mark 10, 44 and 45, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yes, the path of the Christian, like the path of Christ, runs through the valley of humiliation. Because we follow our Lord, who, as Philippians 2.8 says, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Greatheart is right then to say, this is a valley that nobody walks in, but those that love a pilgrim's life. And though Christian had the hard hap of to meet here with Apollyon and to enter with him a brisk encounter, yet I must tell you that in former times, men have met with have met with angels here, have found pearls here, and have in this place found the words of life. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us therefore embrace the valley of humiliation. For indeed, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, before leaving this valley, we should comment briefly upon the forgetful green that Great Heart shows to the company. He simply notes that it is the most dangerous place within the valley and that pilgrims fall under its sway when they forget what favors they have received and how unworthy they are of them. One writer comments on the forgetful green and says this, O pilgrims, attend to this. Pride and ingratitude go hand in hand. Study, ever study, the favors of your Lord and how freely they are bestowed upon you and how utterly unworthy you are of the least of them. Beware of the forgetful green. Many, after going some way on pilgrimage, get into this green and continue here and talk of their own faithfulness to grace received, the merits of their works, and a second justification by their works. Hence, it is plain that they are fallen asleep on this forgetful green and talk incoherently as men do in their sleep. For they forget that they are still sinners, poor, needy, wretched sinners, and that they want the blood of Christ to cleanse them, the righteousness of Christ to justify them, and the spirit of Christ to keep them humble, to sanctify them as much as they did when, as when they first set out as pilgrims. Oh, it is a most blessed thing to be kept mindful of what we are and of the Lord's free grace and unmerited goodness to us. After viewing the monument of Christian's battle with Apollyon, which is a reminder to us that we ought to remember the battles of our brothers and sisters in the faith who have gone on before us, they enter into the valley of the shadow of death, which we are told was longer than the valley of humiliation. And as we observed, whenever Christian passed through this valley, it represents 
the inward distress, conflict, and alarm arising from darkness and insensibility of mind. It varies according to the constitution, animal spirits, health, education, and strength of mind of different persons. And although this leg of the journey is difficult for the pilgrims, they had an easier experience than Christian because they had daylight and because Mr. Greatheart was their guide. And indeed, when later viewing the broken body of heedless, great heart laments that Christian ever walked that valley alone. Let us just make two quick comments before moving on. First, notice that Bunyan gives us two quick pictures of James 4 verse 7's command to resist the devil and he will flee from you. In the midst of distress, our adversary is prone to strike, but we are to stand firm in the Lord and to resist him. And then second, we should note that the darkness that engulfs the pilgrims, which Greatheart compares to sinking into the heart of the sea, we should, should we live long enough, we will all experience such moments, which when all seems dark, when God seems absent from us, and when wave after wave smashes against us with no sure insight. In those times, Greatheart's words ought to be firmly remembered. But let them that walk in darkness and have no light trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon their God. Indeed, the resolve to trust and obey God even when he seems absent brings to mind the warning of the demon screw tape to his nephew when he says, Do not be deceived, worm tongue. Our cause is never in more danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, and asks why he has been forsaken, and still obeys. Finally, the pilgrims at the end of the valley meet with another giant named Maul, who accuses Greatheart of kidnapping pilgrims. Now we see something of this same sort of accusation whenever, partic whenever particularly preachers and evangelists are accused of leave leading people astray into the fanciful myths of Christianity. Now in one of Bunyan's other writings, he gives a further idea of what this allegory might represent. So he says, Satan's master argument is, thou art a horrible sinner, a hypocrite, one that has a profane heart and one that is an utter stranger to a work of grace. I say this is his maul, his club, his masterpiece. He doth with this, as some do by their most enchanting songs, sing them everywhere. I believe there are but a few saints in the world who have not had this temptation sounding in their ears. But were they but aware, Satan, by all this, does but drive them into the gap out of which they should go, and so escape his roaring. Saith he, Thou art a great sinner, a horrible sinner, a profaned, a profane-hearted wretch, one that cannot be matched for a vile one in the country. The tempted may say, I, Satan, so I am. A sinner of the biggest size, and therefore have the most need of Jesus Christ. Yea, because I am such a wretch, Jesus calls me first. I am he, wherefore stand back, Satan, Make a lane. My right is first to come to Jesus Christ. This now would be like for like. This would foil the devil. This would make him say, I must not deal with this man thus. For then I put a sword into his hand to cut off my head. And indeed, 
as a great heart again displays. Only the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is sufficient for decapitating Satan's giants. May we therefore hold fast to God's Word, that we may stand firm against the schemes of our adversary. Thank you for listening. Until next week, grace and peace.